This is Undaunted Life, a man's podcast. I'm your host, Kyle Thompson. Let's get into it. All right, guys, today we've got a return guest on the podcast. His name is Samuel Say, and you guys absolutely loved his first interview that he did with us. It is an absolute fan favorite. That is episode 276 from earlier this year, but if you're not familiar with Samuel, he is a newly married, now Ghanaian-Canadian-American who just moved to the U.S. from Canada after he got married, which is always a good choice to upgrade from Canada to America. We talk about that in the show. Uh, And also, according to him, he is committed to addressing racial, cultural, and political issues with biblical theology in an attempt to be quick to listen and slow to speak. So this guy has been featured on the Daily Wire, The Blaze, Relatable with Ali Best Stuckey, Founders Ministries, and other places. But the reason why he's on the show today, because I didn't think we were going to have him on you know, this quickly again, even though I knew it would happen eventually, is because he created quite the stir over this past weekend with his latest blog titled, Why I Am Not an Abolitionist on Abortion. Now, Samuel Say is one of the most consistently pro-life people that I know of that's in this kind of conservative sphere. But he, he put out an article saying that he's not an abolitionist on abortion. So I was actually shocked by it. But there's, there's been a lot of drama around all this. And after I read, and, and a shout out to Ryan, uh, who's on our team here at Undaunted Life for, for shooting me the article. After I read through the article a couple of times, I was like, okay, I know where people are missing his point. And I know where they're getting mad. So I wanted to get Samuel on here because when you read the, the words on the page, you're not getting all the context. And, you know, there's always a little bit of nuance in there that you can't exactly absorb. So I wanted to make sure that we went basically line by line through the blog and talked about these things because there is this abolitionist movement with the pro-life cause that I think is actually, you know, it's a detriment to a lot of people. And I'm as pro-life as you could possibly get. I think that abortion should be illegal from the moment of conception without any exceptions whatsoever. And then if somebody gets an abortion, that the doctor that performs it, the woman that gets it and anyone else involved should be charged with murder. Like it doesn't really get much more pro-life than that. But there are people that would say that I'm not an abolitionist because I don't support their way of going after laws around abortion. So that's what Samuel and I get into today. We really get into the weeds. I really enjoyed this conversation, but I'm not going to keep him from you any longer. So without further ado, let's get into it. Samuel say, welcome back to Undaunted Life of Man's podcast. It's an honor. Thank you for having me back. Hey, man, I, I told you this off air. You were one of our favorite guests, you know, from our audience for the year this year. And I didn't think you'd be coming back this quickly, but we'll get into that in just a second. Why you're back on the podcast so quickly. Mm-hmm. But before we get into all that, you are now officially a married man. Okay. <laughs> so talk to me about that. Cause I think you got married less than a month ago, right? Uh, actually it's just now been uh, a month. It was, okay. it was the anniversary was like, uh, I think just yesterday. Uh, well, one month anniversary. I mean, right? Yeah, yeah. Anniversary because my my wife is gonna be like, okay, three month anniversary. Okay, all right. Uh, <laughs> but uh, yeah, it's, it's been just a month, and it's uh, it's it's pretty amazing. It's uh, I now see the hype about marriage. I uh, now I finally get it. You know, I knew about it. Now I know it. Yeah, I think it's funny. You joked off air, like you've been married a month, so you're probably well equipped to write, you know, a book on marriage or something like that. What's funny about that is I just got pitched a a podcast interview from a publisher from a couple that's not been married that much longer that does have a book out. And so it's just like, oh my gosh, how do I uh, navigate this where I don't make these people mad? But yeah, that that doesn't make sense. So you got to help me here. Because in the last podcast, I had to introduce you as a Canadian or a Ghanaian 
Canadian. And even when I say the word Canada, it just makes me feel funny. But are you officially now a, a Ghanaian, Canadian American? Is that how this works yeah. now? It, it's funny. It's funny you say that because yesterday, uh, a couple of days ago, I was actually um, uh, playing soccer with some Mexicans. Um, and, you know, as a Ghanaian, I love soccer. And I'm like, oh, man, you know, these Americans, they don't love soccer that much, you know? Uh, they might think, you know, it's, it's the pansy sport or something. So <laughs> I finally see these Mexicans and we play some soccer together. And then as I'm there, they're asking me where I'm from. And I'm like, huh. See, in, in Canada, people ask me where I'm from. I'm saying I'm from Ghana. But now people ask me where I'm from. I say I'm from Canada. So, I, so, I mean, I'm not an American yet. I'm going to be Lord willing very soon. But I guess you could still say I'm a Ghanaian Canadian who is living in America. I'm not going to say that. It's too many things. It's too many qualifiers. And I'm telling you this right now. When you get that American citizenship, you yeah. put all the rest of it to bed. You're an American, damn it. All right, so we put Ghana to bed. We put Canada to bed. You're an American. Are you okay with that? I'm very okay with that. You know, I always laugh whenever Twitter tells me that you've sent me a reply. I always know it has something to do with, aren't you happy you're not in the land of freedom? It's always That makes me laugh every time. Hey, what's funny is I know that there are people that don't realize that you and I know each other. And when they yeah. see my replies to your stuff on Twitter, they get so mad. I'm like, guys, like, and, and I just let it go. I don't ever qualify it. I don't ever really get into it. But we really need to get into the meat of today's show. Because I don't mm -hmm. know if you know this, Samuel, but you done pissed everybody off. All yeah. right. So uh, we need to kind of get a little bit of the backstory to this. But on May the 21st of 2022, you posted a new blog on your site, slowtowrite.com, entitled Why I Am Not an Abolitionist on Abortion. Okay. Yeah. So knowing what I know about you and your opinions and, and public declarations about the abortion topic, the mm -hmm. title 100% caught me off guard. Okay. Now I saw you post it, but I didn't have time at the moment because I was dealing with the, the kid or whatever. So I didn't read it immediately. But then a member of my team, uh, Ryan, he's actually the guy on my team that turned me on to your stuff to begin with. He yeah. sent it to me and wanted to get my opinion on it. And so I basically read it while a you know sick kid was sleeping on me and kind of going all the way through it. Um, so before we, I guess, dig into the meat of the blog, let's start yeah. small here. Yeah. Why write the blog and why do it now? And then, then we'll start tearing through it. Oh, that's a great question. Um, yeah, so I've been wanting to write this this article for two, three years. Um, but one of the reasons why I hadn't done it yet is because I, I at the time I didn't think it was as relevant. Mm -hmm. I was um, I wanted to make sure that it would be helpful to all groups, whether it's pro life people, abolitionists, or anybody who may not be aware of it. So, uh, and then also you know, the past two, three years, something would always come up where I put in the back burner. And, and, you know, whenever you're, I'm sure, you know, when you're, when you're creating, a, whether it's a podcast show, you may have some ideas or something that you want to do, but then certain things come up that makes you just kind of push that away. And that's what the abolitionist topic was for me. So what really made me want to talk about it now was not that Roe v. Wade is seemingly about to end. It, 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 it leads to, uh, it you know, it brings back the topic of what is the best way to go forward. Also, um, you know, there have been a lot of debates right now between abolitionists and pro-life people um, in terms of, so in Louisiana, um, there was a bill, a seemingly abolitionist bill that was, um, you know, that had received a lot of pushback from pro-life people, which has led to a lot of outrage against abolitionists. And then also I have a lot of friends, some very good friends of mine who are becoming uh, abolitionists. And I think, um, you know, as I mentioned before, I don't have 
to I disagree with abolitionists, but I consider them my allies still. So someone can be an abolitionist, I'm okay with it. The problem is I think a lot of abolitionists are becoming quite bitter or have embraced yeah. abolitionism because of bitterness against pro-life people or even mainstream or big mainstream Eva or Big Eva. So Anyway, those are all the reasons why I ended up creating or writing that blog. Um, and uh, as you said, it's it's ticked off a lot of people yeah. on both sides. Well, and that's that's why I reached back out to you because it's like we'll, we'll get into a little bit later because I do want to kind of get my opinions on the issue. And because you know I read through it multiple times, uh, you know I read through it knowing what I knew about our last conversation. And so you know Samuel, where possible today, I'm going to read your direct quotes from the blog in order of how they appear. So that'll be easy for the audience as well. And then just let you elucidate the point further in your own, I, I guess, spoken words. Is that cool with you? Yeah, of course. Of course. Okay. Yeah. So, so let's just go to the opening of the blog here. This is a quote from the very, very top. This might surprise many of you, but I am not an abolitionist on abortion. Though many people in my evangelical tribe have become abolitionists, I haven't joined them. I am pro-life. I am anti-abortion, but I'm not an abolitionist. Well, sort of. Okay. So we need to do a little definitional work right from the beginning. So let's define our terms so we know what we're talking about. What is your definition of pro-life? What's your definition of anti-abortion? But then most importantly, what is your definition of what an abolitionist on this topic is? Exactly. Yeah, that's a great way to start off. Um, so when I say I'm pro-life, I mean, I guess, two things. One, I'm anti-abortion, um, naturally. The other, in the more relevant way, is that I am part of the pro-life movement. And part of the pro-life movement, at least as it concerns this topic, is that I support incrementalism, which basically means that I am anti-abortion. I believe that um, that we should ban abortion completely utterly with zero exceptions. All abortions are evil, every single one. However, I understand, and we'll, I'm sure we'll address this you know, um, um, very soon, that we have to be realistic uh, in terms of what, are, what is able to pass, uh, as in, in terms of what pro-life bills can actually pass, um, either in Canada or America. Therefore, I am okay supporting some bills that do not completely end or ban abortion right away. For example, the heartbeat um, laws in Ohio and other places, or the Mississippi uh, or Texas laws, um, you know, that are out there. I support those bills, even though they do not completely ban all abortion. I know the intent. They're trying to chip away at the abortion laws or the abortion exceptions in the in the country. Now, a abolitionist is someone who is also pro-life, but they wouldn't call themselves pro-life because they want to separate themselves from the pro-life movement. They're also anti-abortion. The difference is they are, they're known for a few things I mentioned in the article, but especially they're known for being immediatist, mm -hmm. meaning that they are against incremental bills. They believe that if you are anti-abortion, and especially if you are a Christian, if you promote a bill does not ban all abortion, you're promoting a bill that is unjust. You're promoting a bill that says it's okay to kill some babies. And therefore, they say that the pro-life movement or incrementalists like me are immoral and unjust. Yeah, I think that that's a, a very good summary of that. And you really do address that in the very early parts of the blog. And I want to read another quote to you here because this kind of gets us past some of the definitional work. Mm -hmm. Therefore, though my pro-life advocacy is gospel-centered because of my support for step-by-step -step gradual or incremental pro-life bills, some Christians wouldn't describe me as an abolitionist. In fact, because of my incrementalist approach to making abortion illegal, anti-abortion abolitionists say pro-life Christians like me do not want to abolish abortion. We 
simply want to regulate it. In other words, according to them, we do not want to ban abortion. We only want to reduce it. Um, and I, I, I believe that they believe this, this type of a thing. Um, and, but I don't know that they ever are fair with how they're judging somebody's uh, worldview or, or point of view on how to do these particular types of things. Um, and I guess it's because, and you, you, they have an idea of what being appropriately pro-life in their head is, and they get to determine whether or not you are opted into that group. Is that fair to say? Very much so. Yeah. I One of the things that I said, and I, I know, I know we'll, we're going to go through the article, I made sure to say that while I am pro-life, I am distinct, I am different from other people who call themselves pro-life. The same way, to be, to be, fair, to be fair to the abolitionist, there are some abolitionists who would say that they are also different from certain kinds of abolitionists too. This is the nature of words in general, right? You can you can claim to be a certain group, you know. So, for example, I'm a Calvinist. Well, there are different kinds of Calvinists. I'm Reformed. There are different kinds of Reformed people. You have the Dutch Reformed people. You have the Baptists, Reformed Baptists. You have different kinds of Reformed people, right? Even even saying the word Christian, I'm not a Catholic. There are some Catholics who say they are Christians, right? But we are very different. So uh, words can mean, you know, uh, uh, one word can mean different things based on the person who is saying it. So one of the things that concerns me is that abolitionists, they often tend to mischaracterize people like myself and place people like me in the same camp as so-called pro-life people who really do believe that we should ban all abortion. Yeah, I think that that's an important distinction because to be fair, there are people in the pro-life cause that don't think that abortion should be banned outright. And I find that to be an untenable position. But uh, the thing that I do appreciate from the blog as well is that you do name names. So you talk about this first group. These are the people that abolitionists say aren't sufficiently pro-life enough. So you mentioned Canadian Center for Bioethical Reform, Greg Cunningham's Center for the Bioethical Reform, Mark Harrington's uh, Created Equal, Scott Klusendorf's uh, Life Training Institute and secular pro-life groups like Lila Rose's Live Action. Although I don't think you can actually say that Live Action is secular because because of... uh, Lila Rose's Catholic beliefs. That's why she does what she does. But then yeah. there's a second group, which are the abolition, the abolitionists that are apparently doing everything right. So abolish yeah. human abortion, free the states, rescue those founders ministries who you are affiliated with and apologia, uh, otherwise known as end abortion now. And so here's the thing. And I, I kind of have to flow in this a little bit. I've been trying to get Jeff Durbin on the show for over a year to talk about this particular subject. Yeah. And it has been one of the most, the craziest experiences because every time I would reach out to his people, they'd be like, he's so busy right now. Can you reach back out in six months? And it's like, okay. And then I would do it. And then they would say that again. And then I would do it again. But this last time I booked him four months in advance of our date and they canceled like the day of uh, his appearance on our show. And which is just crazy to me. It's like, I have an easier time getting sitting congressmen and number one, New York times bestsellers to come on the show. But apparently I can't get Jeff Durbin. But if I were to have him on the show, which it doesn't look like I'm going to be able to make happen. I was going to ask him specifically about this because he is so vehemently in the abolitionist camp to where if there were two separate bills, right? So, hey, uh, let, let's take the you know state of New York where uh, you know abortion is legal up until the moment of birth. And I would say, hey, this is either going to stay on the books in this state or here's this incrementalist bill that bans abortion after the first trimester. I think in order to make you know this you know prideful point, he would say, no, it's all or nothing. And so what he would invariably be doing would be damning a lot of those kids in that state to the slaughter, 
right? And again, he wouldn't characterize it that way. But unfortunately, I've tried all my best. So I, I wanted to give him an audience, you know, with my show to kind of talk through this. But I think it's a very, very untenable position because it's like th these people just think that all of a sudden everybody in every house chamber or congressional chamber in the United States is just going to, Oh yeah, the gospel is real. And, and you know, God rules over everything. This theonomy type of mindset, which just isn't realistic in my view. Exactly. Not just that. I'm so glad you, you mentioned that. Not just that to make it even worse. And frankly, shocking abolitionists believe that a truly abolitionist bill, a truly immediatist bill has to, has to not just ban all abortion, it has to punish women who get abortions as well, too. Now, I actually am okay with that. I hate right. that the pro-life movement keeps saying that if you're if you are an abortive woman, you're a victim. No, you're not. You killed someone. Your baby is the victim, not you, right? So we have to stop, you know, to the audience that kind of sissy kind of thinking, right? But right. but more than that, you know, the abolitionists they actually would not vote for a bill. They would not support a bill that would ban all abortions with with zero exceptions, if if it did not also punish or penalize the woman. That to me is crazy. Even though I'm like, hey guys, I agree with you. I agree that women who kill their babies should be punished for that. You're telling me you would not be willing to save all babies if they don't include that part in the bill to, 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 consider, murder, uh, to consider abortion as a homicide? Why not just pass the bill, support the bill, and then fight for that eventually? which is, again, the incrementalist mindset. But again, they're so dogmatic on this. And frankly, I agree with you. There's so much pride on this. There's so much of a Puritan aspect, not in a theological, biblical way, mm -hmm. but this ungodly purity in, in, that they're seeking on this that concerns me where they're willing to call me a compromiser. Now, I'm not trying to say that I can't compromise. I'm a sinner. Of course yeah. I can. But I'm called a compromiser because I'm saying, hey, guys, look, so for example, in Canada, there was a bill... Uh, I mentioned this in the article, uh, so I don't get if, if I'm getting ahead of myself too much here. Please. No, you're good. You're good. But I mentioned that in Canada, uh, we are one of only two nations in the entire world with zero laws on abortion, zero restrictions. It is, it is, it is, it is, um, it is legal in Canada as it is in New York to kill a baby if, essentially, frankly, the very day before they're born. Mm -hmm. Right now. This is important because in the late 1980s and, and, and early 1990s, our then prime minister at the time, was his name is Brian Mulroney, he tried to push an incremental uh, incremental bill, which would have would have been one of the better pro-life bills at, at the time. But some of the Canadians, uh, pro-life advocates here, who were not necessarily abolitionists, but they were similar. Uh, they wanted very radical bills. Now, I say radical, I mean good bills, right? Good bills. But they were thinking that we want almost a near perfect bill or none at all. Well, they got what they wanted. Now over now almost 40 years afterward, we do not have a single baby in Canada who was protected by law against abortion. Not a single one. And because we did not have any progress or momentum, we are still where we are. Where today, we don't have a we have a good pro-life movement here, but politically we don't have a lot of traction because of that. And if, one thing I'll say about this, um you know, in Canada, there are only 14, sorry, only 14% um, uh, of people here are completely pro-life, only 14%. But 90% of Canadians, when they are informed that they're, that, wait a minute, we don't have a law in our country, they say, oh, wow, we, wanna, we want a law in Canada. Now, again, only 14% 
want a bill that will completely ban all abortion. But 90% want a bill that would at least limit abortion. So if you are a pro-life person or even an anti-abortion person in Canada, and you have the choice of being able to save thousands of babies in the country, if you pass a bill that would ban late-term abortion in, in, in the country, you wouldn't do it? You wouldn't want to save babies? And then, fine. If you say you won't do it, fine. If I want to do it for the very purpose of trying to save babies, I'm called a compromiser or evil or complicit in, in, in injustice. It's ridiculous. Yeah, I think... I think one of the best things that abolitionists do is they do call out these squishy pro-life organizations that aren't as pro-life as you might think, you know, because I agree with a lot of people on the abolitionist side. There are a lot of people on the pro-life side of things that actually don't want abortion to be criminalized nationwide here in the United States of America, because yeah. then they won't have any power anymore. They won't be able to make money. They, they won't have a job. So they're basically taking themselves out of a job. So I want to kind of pull out of the, the blog and then we'll go back into it and because you've already talked about how you're reformed and Calvinist and all those different things. Cause I'm going to pick on those people a little bit because from reformed you know, theology type people and Calvinist type people, I get this incessant and unquenchable desire to argue about everything. Yeah. And there is this unbelievably smug and intellectual arrogance that I get when I'm around a lot of people that think that way. Now, I know a lot of great people, John Cooper comes to mind, who's very reformed theologically and Calvinist, who is none of those things. And I tell him that often whenever I pick on reformed theology and Calvinist, but it's this intellectual snobbery that I think leads to these types of ideas to where it's like, oh, we're not getting every single thing that we want without compromise. Okay. Well, we're right. And there's part of me, Samuel, that thinks it's so complicated reformed theology and Calvinism and, and systematic theology and all these things that these people feel so accomplished that they understand it. And they like that. It's somewhat inaccessible to the everyday man. I had a guy uh, that I talked to off air and I'm going to have him on later. So I'm not, I'm not talking trash about him, but I said, I don't know that a reformed the, a theologian or that a Calvinist can tell me in one sentence how someone can be saved. And what he did, whenever I said that to him, he launched into a 10 minute explanation as to the systematic theology of Calvinist thought. And I'm like, this is the exact thing that I was talking about. Like this is, you're making it so unbelievably complicated, but here is a real world. Cause most people don't care about theological arguments and eisegesis versus exegesis and all these yeah. different things. But here's a real world application yeah. of that intellectual snobbery leading to babies being murdered. Yeah. And I don't get it. Why would someone do that? You know, it, I, 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 as, as I said, um, I am reformed. I'm a Calvinist. Of course, I believe, you know, that's true. But you know something? As I mentioned, this is why I said what I said in the, in the beginning of the article, that it will surprise some people that I am not an abolitionist. Because this is a very, this is the first time that a major, on a major issue, I am not aligned with my so-called camp. This right. is the first time. Now, I've never wanted to, you know, compromise uh, my true thinking on something because of my camp. I just have always agreed with my so-called camp. But, you know, a lot of people have addressed the, um, the very much what you're saying right now. They've been saying that to me for a long time. And I would see it in some cases, but I never thought too much about it. But in, on this issue, I'm seeing it more. I'm seeing how, because again, when people are, for example, about, the being, about being snobs, I've had so many comments saying, well, it's okay. Sam doesn't get it. He just doesn't get it. But when he does, it will be like, wow, of course. I'm thinking, do you realize how arrogant you are yeah. that you think I've not done my homework? That mm -hmm. 
because I don't agree with you. It's just because right now I don't have the, frankly, the intellectual capacity right now to get what you get. But once, but when I do, I'll just be like you. Yeah. And I'm like, man, is that what people like me have been saying about other people on different issues for a long time? If so, man, shame on me and God help me repent because I don't want to think that way whatsoever. I think that's an important thing for you to think through. And again, like if I were to plant my flag and I've said this on other shows and other interviews, if I were to plant my flag somewhere, it would be very, very close to the reformed, you know, Calvinist uh, theology and way of looking at things. But there are just some things that I, I can't get a Calvinist to give me a straight answer on like, Hey, why are there, why is there such a thing? If election is real and you know, you, you don't really have any choice in the matter. Why do they, the, why are there Calvinists that are missionaries? That doesn't make any sense to me. And you know, who also doesn't make sense to anybody that's paying attention. And it's kind of one of those things. I do get that idea. It's like, Oh, you'll get there one day, little boy, but it does drive me absolutely insane. But we need to come out of that world. Let's go back into the blog. Yeah. Cause you yeah. do a little bit of definitional work and I'm not going to make you go into it because you put it in the article, but I will read it here. You talk about gates. That's G A T E S that stands for gospel centered, aligned providentially through the church engaged biblically, sought immediately without exception or compromise. So that is how abolitionists approach these bills that they're trying to get passed in these states. And then here's also a quote uh, from the article here. Abolitionists summarize their immediatist approach in what they call the five components of abolition bills. So we've got to make sure that we understand this. Number one, outlaw abortion from conception. Two, include no exceptions for abortion. Three, criminalize abortion itself and establish equal justice for the preborn. Four, do not submit to the unconstitutional ruling of Roe. And five, repeal or supersede all statutes which allow for abortion. So, amen, 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 and amen. I agree. I'm with you. But this is where the rubber meets the road. So, forgive me for teasing this out a little bit. So take, for instance, as you mentioned in your blog, the bill that just got passed in my home state that I'm living in right now, the state of Oklahoma, this bill effectively bans abortion from the moment of conception. That's effectively what it does. However, the bill does have exceptions for what they call necessary abortions to save the life of the mother, which, as you rightly point out, is not a real category, and exceptions for conception caused by rape or incest. Also, the bill does not allow for abortionists nor the women seeking the abortion to be charged criminally for those acts, which I disagree with. Now, personally, I'm right now working with Governor Stitt's office, the governor of our great state of Oklahoma, to get him on the podcast. You know, we're trying to time it for after the Roe v. Wade officially does come down or the Dobbs decision does come down. And I do want to discuss those things with him directly. I do want to ask him about that because he's on record saying any piece of pro-life legislation that hits my desk, I will sign. So he's not exactly driving those things. He's just signaling that those are the things that he wanted to, that he wants to do. Mm-hmm. So that bill in Oklahoma does not pass the abolitionist criteria that we just talked about, which again, just as a reminder, one, outlaw abortion from conception, two, include no exceptions for abortion, three, criminalize abortion itself and establish equal justice for the pre-board, four, do not submit to the unconstitutional ruling of Roe, and five, repeal or supersede all statutes which allow for abortion. So I put all that set up to get to here. Presumably, abolitionists would not support the most pro-life bill of any state in the union. It makes no sense to me. I have no idea how they can get there. All the mental gymnastics they have to do to get to that point to where they would criticize. I had people, you know, reach out to me directly fans of the show. Whenever I was so excited about what happened in the state of Oklahoma, they're like, Oh, well, if this is challenging court, it's got this and it's got that. It's like, is that what we're focusing on right now? Because effectively abortion would be eradicated in my state and it's just not good enough. I don't understand it. See, this is, I'm so glad you, you, you mentioned this because a lot of people, 
I don't. I know not all abolitionists think this way. I've had some abolitionists reach out to me saying, "You know what, Sam? I call myself an abolitionist, but I think just like you." Which is why I said at the beginning of the article that look, by the very definition of the word, I'm an abolitionist. Every truly pro-life person is, but abolitionism has become associated with the word immediatism, right? An immediate, complete, abor- uh, a complete ban or nothing at all, and you know. I know, a lot of, I know a lot of abolitionists think the same way I do here, but many similarly seem to see abortion as theoretical. I don't see it as a theory. I see that right now you have babies all over the country who are about to get crushed. Yep. And I, by the grace of God, have an opportunity to save some of them. Some of them. That means I will do whatever I can. Now, they hate it when we say this, but it's the reality here. It's not theoretical. Babies are being killed. This is not a matter of, well, you know, no, babies are being killed as we speak. So I am not going to be feeling badly that I am going to, uh, that I want to save as much as possible. Now, again, so many incrementalists are not really, um, you know, truly completely pro-life. So many incrementalists just want to ban most abortions, not all abortions. The reality is, in politics, frankly, it's a negotiation. It's, it, it is what it is. You know, it's easy to say that, you know what, don't negotiate with terrorists. That's easy to say. Okay. But still, if a terrorist tells you, and you, I am going to kill every single child in this building, but you know for a fact that you could possibly negotiate to save some of them, that maybe they'll say, you know what, we can kill a thousand babies, but maybe you can somehow negotiate that you will save 300 of those babies. You might think, well, it's just theoretical, but those 300 babies are made in the image of God. Yes, the other ones, of course, are also made in the image of God too. But the reality is I'm not able to save them. But God, by his grace, has given me perhaps an an ability to save 300 of them. I will gladly save them, and I will be unsatisfied that the others are still being killed. But then I'll say, you know what? Now that I've saved 300, now let's try to save all. But if I can't save all, you know what? Maybe save 200 more. And then if I can't save 200 more, you know what I mean? You just keep going. No one is saying, let's save as few as possible and stop it. Well, I guess some people are saying that, but that's not really the truly pro-life people that I would say I'm aligned with. Well, it's like, it's like, take the win when it's given to you. Like a lot of people that listen to this podcast, obviously understand the game of football and that's American football. Not that nonsense. Y'all played in Africa growing up, but like with, with football, do you want to score a touchdown on every single play? Yes. Is that available to you on every single play? No. Does that mean you shouldn't try? Absolutely not. But if the 75 yard touchdown pass isn't available to you, are you really telling me you're not going to take the 20 yard pass in a first down? Are you really going to say that to me? Because, and here's the other thing, the negotiation with terrorists thing, we do it all the time. This, Mm -hmm. we don't negotiate with terrorists. That's television. That's Hollywood. We legitimately do that all the time. You morons. But also (laughs) whenever you go beyond that, I feel like a lot of these people are just closed off intellectually. And you talk about that in the podcast. You talk about how, you know, uh, pro-life Christians, the squishy ones have a lot to learn from abolitionists, but abolitionists, again, being as smug as they are, they feel no need to listen to you. They are shut off intellectually. They're like, there's nothing that you can teach me about this. Now I will say I have very, very few things in my life that I am like that on. And one of them is this issue. There's nothing that you can do. I'm completely intellectually closed off on what is growing inside the, the, the belly of a human being when they're pregnant, like from the moment 
DNA sprouts into existence and that's the only way in the universe that that happens whenever there's a one-celled zygote that's created, you can't convince me that's not a living human being. But they're closed off in a different way. And, and it's just, it's very, very interesting to me. But I do want to get to another quote because this is probably the quote that pissed the most people off if I had to guess. So let me read the quote here. If incrementalism is sinful, every abolitionist who votes for the Republicans is a hypocrite. If incrementalism is sinful, every abolitionist who voted for Donald Trump is guilty of unrepentant sin. Candidly, abolitionists are the anti-abortion version of never Trumpers. So this brings up a lot of stuff, right? Yep. So you definitely ripped off a scab for a lot of people because there are Republicans that love Trump. They're super MAGA. There are Republicans that tolerate Trump. There's Republicans that hate Trump. They're never Trumpers. And this also brings up the point that Donald Trump, if the Roe v. Wade decision and, you know, uh, the, the KC decision, if those are overturned, immediately Donald J. Trump becomes the most pro-life president in the history of the United States of America and one of the greatest, all at the exact same time. And I don't personally believe that Donald Trump is pro-life in his heart, which yeah. is another thing that people need to reckon with is I don't care how you feel in your heart. No. I care how you legislate. Yep. Because there are people that are like, ah, you know, I, I don't think abortion's fine, but I guess, you know, politically I'm okay with the woman's right to choose. That's the Joe Biden position. It's like, you can't have it that way. You can't yep. split the baby. And I mean that full pun intended, but is that the thing? If, cause I guessed that, that that was the sentence or, or really block that made people the most angry. Am I right on that? Is that the nerve you touched? You're very right. And the reason why I would say that might sound surprising. It's because it's the one argument that no one really wanted to touch. That's exactly how I knew it offended them. Because yeah. everyone has been dancing around the real issue. I'm like, look, guys, engage in my arguments. I know what I'm saying this. Because, like, I, like, you know, if you if you say that incrementalism is evil, it's a compromise, but then you vote for a guy who everyone knows is not truly pro-life in his heart, a guy who was not a Christian, a guy who has poor character. Now, he's, you know, a lot, a lot of politicians are the same way, too. But let's face it, the guy is not a Christian, right? So... If you vote for a guy like him, who you who's not the ideal president, who is not the perfect president, why? The argument has always been, well, you know what? He's a lot better than Hillary Clinton. Sure. He's a lot better than even the other Republicans. Well, what's the difference between the incrementalist view than on, on, on the pro-life bills, right? So they're hypocrites. I know some abolitionists who are celebrating um, the fact that, wow, as you said, if if Roe v. Wade now, of course, they don't think very much of Roe v. Wade really being banned or uh, be, being uh, overturned or not. But still, they're like, man, see, this is why we voted for Trump. Well, why do you care? Because again, Trump is not an abolitionist. How does this impact any of what you guys have been advocating for as abolitionists? So they're very much inconsistent, and also, frankly, to you know. Uh, yeah, the hypocrites over this issue, which is See, why- Let, let me hop in here because you brought something up. I'm sorry to interrupt you, but like you brought something up that I, I think is, is a game changer uh, that at least it was in my brain. Are abolitionists going to be mad when Roe v. Wade is overturned? Yes. Because like you would think if they were being intellectually honest to their position- that obviously Roe v. Wade doesn't eradicate or, you know, uh, make criminalize abortion in the United States of America. As I've talked about on the show, it just basically goes back to the states. So it goes back to all these states that have had some level of incrementalism or some level of abortion all the way up into beyond birth, which is the perinatal period, which is what we're seeing in the state of California right now, where a baby can be killed 28 days, up to 28 days after they're born because it's still inside the perinatal window, right? Yeah. Yeah. So what well, is that? I think I just short-circuited my brain 
right? Because like, I honestly think that they're not going to be excited. They're yeah. not going to praise God yes. for, for Roe v. Wade being overturned. Like Samuel, I go to a church that is super duper white in, in East Edmond in a very white area. We don't raise hands. We don't raise our voices. We don't do any of the, any of those things. And our super milk toast straight down the middle pastor just mentioned the fact that Roe v. Wade might be overturned. And there was hooting and hollering and amen in, in that room. And it yeah. was beautiful. I, I get like upset and like teary eyed just thinking yeah. about that. Oh, Are abolitionists really not going to take part in that celebration? No, they won't. So they won't get mad that Roe v. Wade is being overturned. They will be mad that Christians will be celebrating it being overturned. Because see the thing, some abolitionists say that you and I would be worshiping Roe v. Wade. They actually say this. They say that we are idolizing Roe v. Wade by thinking that it is this uh, relevant uh, uh, ruling because they think that, well, the states can just pass any law they can and defy Roe v. Wade and, and without realizing that, well, yeah, you can do that momentarily until the Supreme Court takes it and then shuts it down. Right. Um, or, well, at, at least that was before, um, you know, uh, Trump's nominations to the Supreme Court now seemingly will be overturning Roe v. Wade. But yes, they will not celebrate because they don't think it's relevant. They don't think it's worth it. They won't celebrate. They will not rejoice until we end all abortion. Now, of course, that's all of us, right? All of right. us agree that we should not, even when we end all abortions, there's still work to do to keep women from killing their babies, of course. And never, we will never stop fighting for injustice until Christ returns. At the same time, they would not celebrate because in their mind, well, there's no victory here. The only real victory in their mind is not if, as you said in the football, in the football argument, um, you know, you are moving, you know, you're, you're moving incrementally towards the touchline. So the, the uh, touchdown, touchline. As you God, can see, you sound so Canadian right now. Hey, Come no, on, Samuel. No, I was doing so well until I, I removed my. You're an American now. You need to get with the program. All right. <laughs> oh man, but basically, unless you get a touchdown on the very first throw, that's it in their mind. So I wonder, so you're bringing up a lot of things here. So let's say, I don't see this happening, but Lord willing, it does. Roe v. Wade, uh, Doe v. Casey, those are overturned. It goes back to the States. And over a certain period of time, we accomplish getting a federal ban on abortion, or we get all 50 States. We collect all 50 States to where they ban abortion from the moment of conception. Yeah. You brought up something very interesting, and I don't know if you did it on purpose or, or if it just kind of came out. Women will still kill their babies, even then. Yep. There are a lot of sinful things that people do that are illegal, that have been illegal, like mm -hmm. people selling their bodies you know, for sex, people drinking and driving, people doing all these different things. And a lot of people get, get away with these things. They're never caught. They're never actually penalized for these things. I guess I, I would want to talk to a dyed-in-the-wool abolitionist about what then? So you've gotten what you wanted, right? Yep. We've we've criminalized everything and everyone that has anything to do with the abortion procedure in America. Mm -hmm. Now what do we do about the women that still do that? And I, w I would think, Samuel, and I honestly believe this, that they would shift into pastoral mode in caring for these women, trying to find these women, trying to convince them before they do that to please put the baby up for adoption or do something else very similar to what they would maybe do outside of an abortion mill. Do you agree with that assessment? Yes, I do. Yeah. Okay. So, all right, that, that brought something else up, but I'll read one last quote here from the blog and guys, the, the blog will be in the show notes. It's, it's somewhat lengthy, but it's, it's worth your time to read, but let me read this last one here. Incrementalist pro-life bills are not ideal. However, they are effective. And unfortunately 
necessary. Like every genuine pro-life person, I'm happy to save as many babies as possible through incrementalism until we're finally able to ban abortion with zero exceptions. And so that's kind of the crux uh, and foundation of your entire blog and your entire argument. But then you also bring up William Wilberforce. And so uh, if you've ever read you know, Black Rednecks, White Liberals, um, that's something where you know Thomas Sowell does a masterful job breaking down uh, the African slave trade and all these different things. Just absolutely a mind-blowing, mind-blowing book. You guys have to read it. But People don't understand that William Wilberforce was an incrementalist because, and he's the guy that we point to as the guy that ended, began the ending of the scourge of slavery in the West. So would an abolitionist go to William Wilberforce and be like, you're doing it wrong, buddy. You know why? Because John Calvin exists. (laughs) <laughs> and the first 1500 years of Christianity didn't mean anything because John, John Calvin hadn't taken his first breath. Help me before I blow a gasket, Samuel. <laughs> um, but, uh, you know, it, it, it's actually fascinating. There is a big, uh, a big debate between abolitionist and incrementalist. And I knew what I was doing when I said it about whether, uh, whether uh, Wilberforce was an incrementalist or an abolitionist or immediatist. You know, I'll say this. They have their, you know, he's he wrote um, after um, he banned the slave trade. He wrote a, a book where he is scathing towards the so-called gradualists, which were in some ways the incrementalists of his time. The problem is they don't, they don't seem to understand what we mean by incrementalists. So, for example, there are different kinds of incrementalists. There are people like me who believe the only reason why we should be incrementalists is because we want to save as many babies as possible. And then you have incrementalists who believe it's better for society if we slowly end these things. Because right now, women are not ready to actually, or society as a whole, you know, are not ready to support a abolitionist or immediatist bill. Those are two different things. When, when Wilberforce, in my mind, was, was being scathing towards the graduates of his time. He was re- referring to people who were saying that, hey, let's slowly, gradually end, abo- uh, end slavery. Not because it wasn't, not, 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 be- for, uh, not because they were supporting incrementalist bills necessarily, but because they believed that England or Britain was not prepared to end slavery right away, which is two different things, right? So Wilberforce was, was incrementalist in the sense that he wanted to ban slavery. That was his goal, ban slavery across the British Empire. However, he first banned the slave trade, the slave trade. Then he banned slavery as a whole. That's incrementalism. If Wilberforce was anything like the abolitionist today, he would have never introduced a slave trade bill, never. He would have simply been pushing to ban all slavery right away, nothing else. And frankly, also to punish the slave owners as well, too. But he didn't do that. And we wouldn't know his name today if that's how he had acted. Exactly. But abolitionists today are, are redefining um, what, you know, who Wilberforce really was, right? And that, of course, he was an abolitionist. The same way that you and I are. We want to abolish uh, abortion. That's what we want. But we are going to do whatever we can to gradually, not because we think it's better for society as a whole, we just know that that's the only possible way for us right now, right? So that's yeah. why he was indeed um, a uh, incrementalist. Well, it was absolute news to me that I wasn't as pro-life as I possibly could be because that's something that I've talked about on this podcast ad nauseum about how you, you can't say that there is sanctity of human life 
some lives, right? Oh, well that, well that girl was raped. So her baby deserves to die because of, you know, her baby deserves to get the death penalty for something the father did. I don't think anybody would, would do that, but it is shocking to me. And I think this is a good place. And I know that you would echo the sentiments as well is like, we're on the same team, right? We're on the same team as these abolitionists. We just vehemently disagree on how we're able to, to operate moving forward. So if you're an abolitionist still listening to this podcast, 40 minutes in shock of all shocks, that's something that you should really think about is think about a Wilberforce. Think about how history remembers that man. And this isn't just about history and having your name remembered, but think about what life would be like right now in 2022 in the West, had he not been incremental in his approach to things, because there are still countries in the world today where slavery is is just as vibrant as it was 300 years ago, but not in any Western countries. And, and that should be a shock to nobody. But Samuel, I'm, I'm really glad we were able to make this work out. I'm glad we were able to get a little bit more context and a little bit more depth to some of the things that you put there in that blog. So obviously you have an open audience here for the next time you piss everybody off. But for now, that is all for me. Is there anything else you want to get off your chest before we let you go? Yeah, I want to just say this. You know, as I said in the, so as I said in an article and as you also said in the intro, I've, I've pissed off abolitionist and the other the mainstream pro-life people um as you said as well too that the abolitionists are not my enemies they are my allies unfortunately the abolitionists tend to see people like me and you as our as, as their enemies which is very unfortunate but you know right now the pro-life movement needs to be very 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 careful moving forward because we have abolitionists frankly who are against us we have, of course, abortion advocates who are against us. Then we have the so-called holistically pro-life people. Uh, this is mostly the big Eva people who have embraced critical race theory, who are saying, well, abortion is just one of many things we can address. It's not the, really the biggest issue right now in our culture. Um, so because of all of these, these things, we need to be making sure that we are putting the first things first. If you are a, belie- a believer, primarily making sure that you are, we are doing these things we are fighting justice because we love justification, because we are keeping the gospel centered and then keeping babies first, that we have to care much more about the babies than, you know, than trying to have some weird test for puritism, right? And I think, you know, uh, that's one thing that concerns me here is that, look, I want to save as many babies as possible. That's what it means to be pro-life. And I want the abolitionists to be joining me in that way as well. Yeah, I think it was a good word. And I do have some parting advice for you. Whenever you feel like this thing, and I'm holding up a phone to the screen right now, starts blowing up with all these people that hate you and hate your point of view. You know what you can do? <laughs> Set it down. Set it yep. down face down and don't oh, look yeah. at it, right? Yeah. I appreciate you. I'm glad that you were speaking out so boldly on this issue and I appreciate that final sentiment. Samuel, say thank you for coming back on Undaunted Life, a man's podcast. Thank you. It's an honor again. There you go, guys. I hope you enjoyed the return appearance of Samuel Say on the podcast. But before we let you go, we are going to do a quick resilience boost. At Undaunted Life, our mission is equipping men to push back darkness with content that forges spiritual, mental, and physical resilience. So the links I've got for you today, I've got a link to Samuel's website, but I also have a link to the blog. Guys, make sure that you read the blog, Why I'm Not an Abolitionist on Abortion. We go into a lot of detail, but there's a lot of stuff we couldn't get to as well. It is worth your time. All right, guys, thanks so much for listening to the show. We do appreciate it. Wherever you're listening to this, please subscribe, rate, and leave us a positive five-star review. If you want me to come speak live at your event or on your podcast, just shoot me an email to info at undaunted.life. That's I-N-F-O at undaunted.life. Follow us on Instagram and like us on Facebook and check out our website for everything else, including how to donate to keep more content like this coming your way. Just go to www.undaunted.life. And as always, we want to thank the band August Burns Red for allowing us to use their music for our content. <clears throat> the music on this podcast is their song Cutting the Ties, which is off their 10th anniversary re-recording of their album Leveler. The links are in the description. I'm your host, Kyle Thompson. Remember, 
Keep pushing back darkness. Keep forging spiritual, mental, and physical resilience. Keep seeking the Lion of Judah.